0: Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now, after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Well, once again, a very warm welcome. My name's Liz Gray, and I'm the Rector Incarnation um, of this community, which now part of the time seems to exist in little boxes. And uh, it's just so lovely to see your faces week by week and occasionally to get a glimpse of one of you in the flesh, and that's always lovely as well. But it's so exciting to be together and to just remember that despite the strangeness of this time and space, today we can do something which has happened every year for millennia. Rejoice that Jesus is risen. And also, you know, as you go out and about, there are some things which seem very normal out there. Spring is coming. Our redbud is full of blossom, which is just gorgeous. And every year I feel amazed at the fact that these little blossoms kind of push out of the trunk. How does that happen? Change happening all around us. This afternoon, I had the chance to talk to Um, my daughter-in-law in in London and and see my granddaughter and see the changes that she's making and, and I've only seen her in the flesh once but she was just a teeny little thing and now she's shoving watermelon in her face and throwing broccoli on the floor and it's just delightful seeing change. Take a moment to look at yourself and think about who you are. I wonder what changes you have seen in yourself in the last year? month week day how have you grown how have you developed in the last year have you got some new skills i've got new zoom skills Uh, i don't know about any other skills but we've got new skills have you got new habits have you made some new friends even in this rather odd social time I wonder where you've watched yourself change, get taller or wiser or kinder in the last year. Some change just seems to happen, like the changes of the red buds. I don't, we don't do anything to that red bud tree, it just does its own thing year by year. But I'm sure fertilizer and weeding helps. But some things just keep evolving. Other change takes a little bit more work, like learning a new language or a new skill. And some changes come out of opportunities or sometimes crises. Crises can shape history. There's even, I've discovered a study of crises, which is founded on the premise that whenever a community experiences a crisis, its foundational beliefs are exposed. Those foundational beliefs which might be the rules of who has more or less in a particular culture, who is rich, who is poor and why what is valued, or not. And different crises tend to have slightly different types of outcome. Sadly, it seems that pandemics historically often feed xenophobia. But crises can be an opportunity. In 2008, uh, Rahm Emanuel apparently said, you never want a serious crisis to go to waste. And the events we are celebrating today came out of a week of crisis a crisis which opened a doorway to change which was never ever going to be repeated again that unique moment in the history of the world when christ rose from the dead and declared that death was conquered christ had died christ is risen and christ will come again death completely beaten Forgiveness now on offer for all those who would choose to reach out to Christ and accept his offer of forgiveness. Our debts paid as we turn to Christ. And Jesus beginning to unveil before us this concept of the new and the now kingdom of God being at hand and inviting us to participate. These are the facts that became the bedrock of faith for those early Jesus followers. And for us, when everything else is stripped away, if we lose everything, this could still be where we come back to. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. The very core of our faith. In these uncertain days, it feels so vital to have substance to our beliefs, stability for our feet. And Easter day always offers people a choice, a choice for change as it announces this critical moment. Now, way back on that resurrection day, if you had headed into Jerusalem the next day, you would have seen two different sets of people. You would have seen the people who had just celebrated Passover, who had maybe gone to watch the crucifixions, but then they headed back into Jerusalem just to get on with normal, to get on with plumbing if they were plumbers to get on with teaching if they were teachers to get on with accounting if they were accountants just to pick up their lives as they were before the Passover weekend but for another group of people the whole world had turned upside down because Jesus had risen from the dead and Jesus really turned out to be God incarnate he really was offering this new kingdom and the Holy Spirit really was coming. That bit of the chapter I just read from Matthew's Gospel picks up on the story of some of the women who had loved and cared for Jesus in his life. These are women who had helped look after him, who'd probably fed him meals, who'd washed his clothes, who'd been with him, who'd been taught by him. And now these were women who were struggling with the grief of that past week. Saturday, they had spent huddled together, probably holding each other and wondering how they would ever get back to anything looking like normal again. Women who that Sunday, as we now call it morning, had gathered up their herbs and decided before daylight to run to the tomb. And if you have ever lost anybody, you know that sense of just wanting once more, once more to see them, once more to touch them, once more just to connect. And so I picture them running breathless and turning up in front of the tomb. And they were expecting to have to plead with the guards to roll back the tomb. They were expecting uh, to, to, well, they weren't really sure what they were going to see. They were expecting to find a body wrapped in cloth. And there was this earthquake and, and that in itself would have been alarming. But when they arrived there and they came rushing up to the tomb, the details that we're giving. I love that the, we're told that there was an angel sitting on the rock. What does an angel sitting on a rock look like anyway? How big was it? What does it sound like? How did it how does it look? And then if they looked down, there were the guards lying unconscious with fear on the floor. That would have been startling great big Roman guards and then hearing this voice this voice of the angel saying don't be afraid or was it loud and booming don't be afraid don't be scary I suspect the angel modulated its tone to comfort the women, to speak into their racing brains because they would have needed words to bring them right into the presence of where they were All their emotions would have been so stirred up with fear at the front. But having addressed their alarm, the angels then encourage the woman. And they say to him, don't be afraid. I know why you're here. I know that you're seeking Jesus, who was crucified. And the angel confirms that fact. But then goes on to say, he's not here. He's risen, as he said he would be. And then I love the fact that the angels say, come closer. Come in. Come, Come into the tomb. Have a look. Touch. See. And then go quickly. Go quickly and just tell his disciples, tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead and behold, he's going before you to Galilee. And there you're gonna see him, just as I have told you. And to so the women, the women are alarmed and no doubt they go and they peek in and they see and then they, they charge off, they rush off with great fear and great joy. And as they do, they they, they bump into Jesus. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they fall at his feet. And they touch him. It says they took hold of his feet. I love the way that they're able to touch, to feel the warmth that this was really Jesus, really Jesus alive again. And they worship. These women had watched him die. They'd seen the blood and water come out of his sides. They'd seen him being lowered from the cross. They'd seen his body being wrapped in cloth and being carried off limp to the tomb. And here he was, alive. And then Jesus does the same thing that the angel does. He speaks to them. He reassures them. He says, "Don't be afraid. And then he gives them the same instruction. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see him. Women had got to see him right there, right then. But they were sent. They were sent to go and tell the other disciples. For most of us here on the Zoom, many of you I know, not all of you, I know that many of you already know this news. You know the news that Jesus died and has risen and will come again. But if you are on the Zoom call tonight, and if you don't know that, if you don't trust and believe that, and if you're not quite sure what that means, Can I encourage you to email me? We can set up a time to Zoom chat and talk about it. Because this news is life transforming. Easter Day always gives us an opportunity to look around and to remember and to take stock, to spend time in that critical story. So this year, Easter is slightly different for all of us. Here we are on the Zoom call. We're not physically together. We're not able to reach out and touch and check that we are living, warm, sentient beings. We're not able to touch and hug and comfort. This Easter, each of us is living through a crisis which we didn't expect and came out of nowhere, seemingly, and it might be perhaps the biggest crisis we, global crisis we will experience in our lives. And this crisis also gives us an opportunity to change. And perhaps we could do with having some angels sitting on rocks around us, telling us to not be afraid and giving us a little bit of guidance as to what to do next. But suffice to say, change offers us all opportunities. The group of these women and the disciples that they were about to tell were about to change the world as they stepped into it for the better. And tomorrow, when we get up, some people will go to work in the semi normal way if you work in hospitals or other vital industries. And many of us will go and sit at our dining room tables and work. And some people are isolated and without work, some longing for work, some fearful about food or shelter. But for each of us, this is an opportunity an opportunity for us to grow. I don't know how many of you saw the very brief message which the Queen put out last week. I thought it was pretty amazing. If you, if you type in the Queen and Easter broadcasts, two will pop up. And in the first one, she made this lovely statement. She said, I hope in the years to come, everyone will be able to take pride in how they responded to this challenge. Her first one was really a call to the whole nation, encouraging people to make the most of this opportunity, to not let it go to waste, to not fritter it away. She wanted us to display attributes of self-discipline, of quiet, good-humoured resolve, and of fellow feeling. And then in her second broadcast, which she made yesterday, she called us to follow the light of Christ. I love the way that she always calls people to follow Jesus. So what will it look for us as we do get back to normal? When normal comes, what will it even look like? What will be the things that shape our culture and society when we' are eventually let out of these little boxes and allowed to go out and about and begin to see people again? What will be different about the world that we encounter? I did something this week, which I can't hardly endorse actually. I read like a million, it felt like, articles from scientists and politicians and economists hypothesizing about the what's next for culture, our society. And the themes which came through were fairly coherent. Most of them talked about the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. Globalization shrinking, supply chains coming closer to home, people traveling less, spending less, going out less, turbulent economies, poorer countries being hardest hit. So when physical isolation ends and we tend to go out and start our normal lives again, what do we do? My first suspicion is that we will be strongly encouraged by loud voices around us to forget. That we'll be encouraged to move on. That we'll be encouraged to get out there and start spending. That we'll be encouraged to get back to normal. Advertising will tell us to spend. Advertising will tell us that things are good and great. And who doesn't want to get out to eating meals with friends again? Who doesn't want to even get back to arguing with co-workers in the office? Of course we want that. We want to shop without masks. Normal has a very strong appeal. But normal for us and normal for others might not all look the same. So how do we as normal Christ followers respond? Well, One of the things that God does throughout his story, throughout the scriptures, is he encourages people to remember. Why we celebrate Christmas and Easter every single year. And we don't just celebrate that kind of happiness of the resurrection. We go through Easter week. We remember Palm Sunday, we remember Maundy Thursday, we remember Good Friday, we remember the silence of Holy Saturday. Because we have to hear the stories of the discomfort, and we have to remember what discomfort is all about. And so when we go back to normal. Will we remember what this isolation feels like? Will we remember what it's like to be confined to a small area? Even our smallest areas are bigger than a prison cell. Can we, through our isolation, identify more closely with prisoners? Can we begin to think more clearly about how, what we believe about prison reform even? Will we remember what it feels like to lack? To have had to queue for basics? To have had to hunt through shops to look for the things that we need in our search for toilet paper? And will we remember what it was like not to have some of the things that we relish and enjoy? Even our biggest lack doesn't truly equate to those who are very poor, to the truly poor. But perhaps we can remember a little about how it felt and then respond to the poverty around us. Will we remember what it is like to feel lonely and to covet touch? We need to remember what it feels like so we can understand better what it is for those who are socially isolated. Will we remember the times when we felt lonely or distressed, when we felt like things were shutting in around us in darkness? Will we remember when we felt afraid? I hope we will, so we can empathize empathize with those whose worlds are filled with darkness. There are so many things that we need to remember. The women ran to the tomb expecting to find Jesus' dead body, and then they expected to get back to normal. But instead they encountered angels and Jesus very much alive, and their normal would never be normal again. Those women would always remember The trauma embedded in them from that Holy Week, from watching Jesus die, even as they filled with the joy of remembering seeing Him rise again. And I hope that we will learn to see a little differently. Even as the gospel message reorientates us, seeing in a macro way, will we, through these micro experiences, have learned to see the world, learn to have seen inequality? learn to see the shortfalls in access and distribution, learn to see where poverty is most raw, will we remember to see those things? When this is all over, it will be easy to forget, to believe a message that we will be told that everything is normal. So how do we hold on to these resolves to go about making this a more just society? I'd like to encourage you to do whatever it takes to remember. Perhaps you journal, perhaps you draw pictures, perhaps you take notes, perhaps you have different ways of remembering. One of the things that we had from Good Friday was a rock covered in gold and uh, we were gonna, maybe Amy's gonna talk later about unwrapping it. There are things that we can have around us that help us to remember can I encourage you to develop some little memorial stones from this time which help you when things feel like they're just going back to normal, to remember that things are not normal and that they will never be normal again and that we are called to make sure that things are not normal. In five years' time, may we all look back and say, I remember that time. I remember that pre that, whatever normal it was, and I remember now of how things have changed in the last five years. As I was thinking about Easter Sunday, I stumbled across a prayer which I had heard a number of years ago. And many of you will know the Archbishop of San Salvador, Oscar Romero, who was assassinated in 1980 while celebrating mass in a small chapel in a cancer hospital near where he lived. He was a wonderful archbishop. He always championed the cause of the poor, the underdogs. He talked out about the violence of the state at the time where he lived. And there was a prayer that was written by another bishop, Bishop Ken Untener, and he prayed it as a memorial to Oscar Romero. And as we head now into a time of reflection, I'm gonna read it. And I'm gonna ask you to take a little bit of time to ask Jesus to imprint on your mind the things which he wants you to remember, so that you don't go back to the old normal, but you go back to a new normal, a new normal of seeking to tell more people that Jesus is risen and seeking to spread his gospel, his good news. The prayer is called, a future not our own. It helps now and then to step back and take a long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it's beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work. Nothing we do is complete which is another way of saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us. No statement says all that could be said. No prayer fully expresses our faith. No program accomplishes the church's mission. No set of goals and objectives include everything. This is what we are about. We plant the seeds that one day will grow. We water the seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that produces effects far beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything. And there is a sense of liberation in realizing this. This enables us to do something and to do it very well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders, ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own. Amen.